Welcome to the Inclusive Startup Playbook, the new podcast mini-series brought to you by Sifted and Morgan Stanley Inclusive Ventures Lab, the firm's in-house startup accelerator. I'm Steph Bailey, Head of Content at Sifted, and this week I'm joined by three Morgan Stanley Inclusive Ventures Lab alumni who are all building exciting products that are tapping into new markets. Dora Paltry, co-founder and CEO of EdTech Imagi, Hannah Samano, founder and CEO of Health Tech Unfabled, and Simon Schwal, co-founder and CEO at Fintech Oco. Over the next month, we'll be exploring the best ways to build an inclusive, resilient and sustainable startup. This week, we'll be talking about how to build more inclusive products. Of course, there are a plethora of different products which require different things to make them inclusive. But instead of retrofitting products, more and more are being built with inclusivity in mind from the start. One example is Imagi, a coding platform designed to help anyone code. Dora, as co-founder and CEO, why is building an inclusive product important to you and the company? Actually, Imagi started from my personal experience. I used to be a developer myself, and this set in motion like my interest in understanding why there is so much underrepresentation, and really just my growing belief that tech is our future, and hence, if we don't have more diversity in tech, then we don't have an equal chance to shape that future and make sure that the future is actually inclusive of all. So that's where my personal interest for building uh, an inclusive product started. Uh, really wanting to make sure that um, everyone can use this like increasingly huge power that tech has for society's benefits, for, for their own benefit, and for helping others. That's great. And Dora isn't the only one making products which are more inclusive of women. Unfabled is a consumer health platform providing women with curated and personalized solutions. Hannah is founder and CEO. Hannah, why the need for Unfabled? Thanks, Steph. Um, So three years ago, I was having a lot of issues with my hormonal symptoms. So I was struggling with difficult cramps and hormonal mood swings and difficulty with my sleep. And I realized that there was no destination for me to turn to to find products that could support with my female health and wellness and more importantly to be able to find somewhere that would recommend products to me in a way that met my unique needs. So I decided to take it upon myself and build the platform that I wish I had which was a destination for curated and personalized products for women's health and I think the need for Unfabled came from the fact that um, up until then most destinations for health and wellness had, had largely not been built by women for women And so I really think that by being the end user myself and building a platform that's solving my own needs um, and doing research from there, I'm able to really meet a gap in the market and to solve my own problems. That's amazing. Um, And finally, we have Simon on the show, who is co-founder and CEO of OCO, an insurer tech which is using satellite imagery and weather forecasting to simplify and automize claim management in order to create crop insurance for smallholder farms. Simon, welcome. Tell us a bit about your product and how it was built with inclusivity in mind. Thank you, Steph. So our product is basically a climate insurance for farmers. Farmers subscribe ahead of the season, and if they suffer, for example, from a drought or a flood, then we compensate them. Nothing revolutionary so far, but we're offering this to small farmers in sub-Saharan Africa who were never offered this kind of service. Farmers who have low literacy level, no connection to internet, uh, who have never been offered any kind of insurance. And for a good reason, we are talking about farmers who are very difficult to reach, 
sending an agent, for example, on-site to visit the farm would involve too much cost, and collecting pay cash payments would also be a nightmare. So at OCO, we instead use satellite weather data to analyze their exposure to risks and then to monitor the weather during the season. This eliminates the need to send claim assessors on site and allows us to automatically validate claims. So suddenly the size and the location of the farm is not a criteria anymore to eligibility, which makes our insurance very inclusive. Distribution to the last mile remains a challenge. So our target users are mostly, as I said, illiterate, unbanked and not connected. And so we had to design our service with that in mind. We communicate mostly through recorded voice messages, for example, in local languages. We allow payments in multiple installments. And we partnered with mobile operators to offer, offer a menu that is accessible even without internet connectivity. What's crazy is that usually inclusivity means lifting barriers faced by minorities. But in our case, small farmers represent the majority of the population in these countries. So that makes our work at OCO very rewarding. Great. Um, and you've all described three amazing um, products and platforms. But more broadly, why are inclusive products important? So inclusive products are important because I genuinely believe they're better products. And I think that when you start to design in an inclusive way, which for me means really incorporating the needs of many users, a diverse set of users, you build solutions that have much more functionality and that ultimately have a much better user experience. The benefit of that as well in building inclusively, thinking about these diverse users' needs and building better products means that you end up serving a bigger market as well. And so for Unfabled, when I think about our journey, I originally started out building originally for a menstrual health user, someone who was coming to find solutions for their menstrual health and symptoms. And over time, we've evolved to cater to every aspect of the female life cycle from puberty through to postmenopause, because we were listening to our users and listening to women and diverse women and realized that there was more and more that women that women were looking for from us. And so as we've been on that journey, we've of course increased the size of our business too by catering to more of these diverse users. So I think it makes for a better user experience and better business sense as well. I think, yeah, a lot of founders who actually set out to build diverse products, probably doing that because they have a specific kind of social impact or an equity question in mind. But then the end of the day, it has been proven and shown that it also just makes perfect business sense. And it's either about yeah addressing a market that is currently just completely underserved or about actually widening the market for products that are not inclusive of the entire population. For example, YC always says like build products that you yourself like would use and understand. And I think you know the problem with that where usually the people who build tech products all look the same is that you're really missing out on, on a lot of the population. And that leads to both a lack of business opportunity, but also, of course, a lack of inclusion on an impact level. Yeah, as Dora and Hannah were saying, it can have a lot of benefits, but it's very important also to avoid an evil. Creating an inclusive product can create a gap between populations, populations who benefit from the advantage of new technologies, of digitalization. Uh, but if you leave behind a part of the population that yeah, cannot access this product, then actually technology widens the gap between different parts of the population. And that's a real threat for excluded people. And I think that's also why it's important to, uh, to have inclusivity in mind. 
Great. And you all touched on the needs of your users, but how is it best to understand the needs of your users, especially when they're not like you? In our case, it's uh, it's very much the case because our, our team is based in Europe or in the Middle East, but our users are in Sub-Saharan Africa. So we really had to spend the time, spend a lot of time with our users going out in the field in remote villages, staying there for hours, uh, discussing with our target users to really understand their needs and even to follow them during their work and during the day to see what tools they use, how they communicate, uh, what media they consume. Um, so there's, yeah, there's no better way than just spending time uh, with your users, observing, observing, observing. So from my perspective, I have a background in human-computer interactions, worked as a UX designer. So of course, I've been trained to believe that a great like UX pro uh, process will ensure that you're building um, inclusive products. And I mean, I think that's like the bare minimum, right? Like you really have to make sure to have a good process in terms of interviewing your users and doing both qualitative and quantitative analysis and, you know, just having a good process there. But I think uh, as a first step, also, there has to just be an inclusive mindset, like in the team that's building that product, that there's actually a value to doing all of this and not just something that we say that we do or something that we think is industry standard, but like really actively believing that this is um, what we set out to do. So in our case, we first started to build our product for the consumer market and we spent a lot of time with our then end users kids, but then actually shifted towards the education market. So now our primary users are both kids, but also teachers. So of course you constantly have to adapt and evolve in who your users are and refine it. And I really agree with spending time with them part. So I do that a lot as well, really just sitting there, watching um, educators use our product in the classroom, also just having casual conversations, lunches, sometimes listen to them, not even talking about our product, but really just about their general pain points. Um, but I think the final note I would add, um, while I do believe that a good process is, yeah, the, the bare minimum you need to have, um, I think like eventually really having a diverse team is extremely important too. Like you will just get only that far with a, a process, including your users, but ensuring that you have yeah, more diverse perspectives in your team and ideally actually having some of your super users be at least partially part of the development process um, is a really big value add. I think especially when it comes to female health, understanding the needs of women is, is so critical. Fun fact that's not so fun, but women weren't included or legally required to be included in clinical trials until 1993. And so I think that centering women within the design process is so paramount for health. Um, and we have a few ways that we do that at Unfabled. I mean, fundamentally, we're a consumer facing platform. And so we have very strong conversation with our users all the time, which is really facilitated by social media. So we, um, we've we reached over 40 million people through TikTok, which for us has been a really powerful way to be in this two-way conversation constantly to understand what women need and what their pain points are. And I think like the others have shared, you can't do better than actually speaking to your users. But for us, what's been really important is being really mindful about the groups of women we want to hear from and not just women, but also um, people assigned female at birth who might be gender non-conforming, but also still have menstrual cycles and so on. And so we're really intentional about who we speak to and making sure that our user research is very all-encompassing. And we recently actually formed a community advisory board as well of about 30 of our most um, engaged users across these different user sets that we speak to now really regularly and 
who feed us with all sorts of ideas and feedback about anything that we're doing as well that's not resonating. So yeah, I think you can't beat good old user interviews personally. What are the tools product managers can use to build inclusive products? Like I've said, I think honestly that there's a lot of technology out there now um, to facilitate getting closer to users. And I think that's fantastic. But having tried many different things, nothing has ever been more illuminating for me than sitting down and listening to hour-long user interviews and reading the transcripts to speed things up sometimes. But the insights that are unearthed through that, I find to be really remarkable. But then, of course, there are fantastic tools these days like Hotjar, where we can really see how people are engaging with the platform, where they might have blockers, and we can launch widgets and surveys on the platform to understand if a user is frustrated at one moment with our product, you know, why is that? And we also bring users together to do um, forums and to speak with each other um, again which brings up so many interesting things so as you're kind of gathering from how we operate we really believe in the power of conversation with our users and making sure that that's baked into our processes whether it's digitally or in person but also hot jar is a big is a big tool that we use um, over at unfabled on our side there's not really one tool that we use but it's more of a, a method let's say so it's really data mining or data analysis I'll give you an example. We offer, as I said, the possibility for farmers to pay with their mobile wallet. But then when analyzing the data in the details, we realized that the same numbers were being used many times. And we realized that sometimes in one village, there was one person with a mobile wallet that was paying for all the others. So we started to change the, uh, the, the payment system so that yeah, one person could pay for, for multiple users and we could identify who were the users. So that's something that we couldn't observe directly from uh, from the users just by spending time with them. We didn't get this answer from them, but just by looking at the usage through data, we managed to identify to really create a product or a customer journey that works for them, knowing better the, what tool they used and what are their habits. So I think, yeah, like the data part is obviously huge and becoming more and more accessible. And so, yeah, Hojar is something I've used personally. We use Amplitude in our like, consumer app. But I think, yeah, the way I've been thought to think about it and, and like to think about it is that the data like tells you what's happening and then you can start to like dig. But then it's really the interviews or talking to users where you figure out why it's happening. So it's kind of like you need both of these sides to start to form a full picture and hypothesis and then make modifications and actually test if what you thought was correct or at least if it leads to the desired outcome. And how do you ensure that you're not playing into stereotypes? I think that's such an important question. So, for example, like I, I started with the story in the beginning, you know, being a, a woman uh, developer and, and just having that experience in tech and obviously. So I'm I'm a white woman, right? So I have this lived experience of being underrepresented because of being a woman. But then to make sure that, you know, you have a broader inclusive product, uh, like for me, it's been really important, like personally, to educate myself on intersectional feminism and also like opening up our product and not we, we don't just have a product for girls so we sell to school so we focus on making sure it's inclusive of all and I think like for me the next natural step was really educating myself also on on racial diversity and socioeconomic backgrounds and what that means in terms of your learning journey in school and how we can ensure that every educator and every child can learn programming with us in a, in a quality and engaging level but then again, just the, I can't emphasize enough, like continuing to learn from others, 
seeking out the expertise of entrepreneurs and leaders who are in sort of like different areas of inclusion that you might not know much about is really important for me just to ensure that, you know, we don't just fall into the <laughs> the stereotype or the mistake of really caring about that one area of inclusion that we ourselves are familiar with. It's so important that as founders and operators, we're all really aware of our own biases and that we're really conscientious about having opinions around us and advisors that fill up the spaces that we don't have. So for example, at Unfabled, we've been really conscious about getting advisors and users around us who represent all of the different menstrual health conditions we serve. So endometriosis, PCOS, making sure we have really solid representation through the diverse range of women going through perimenopause and postmenopause. And so even though we have a really diverse team, and that's again something that I'm very mindful about continuing to build, there's no way that our team could reflect the full breadth and assortment of female health needs. And so we really ensure that we have constant data streams, both qual and quant from the different people we're trying to build products for. And I think as well that it's just a really iterative approach. So as we build our products, we make sure that we're never working in a waterfall way, but just truly working, building something very rapidly and then testing it with these wide range of users to get their feedback. So I think that for us having a diverse team who also are the end users of Unfabled, we're all millennial and Gen Z women has been fantastic. But in our team, our core team, we don't have any perimenopause or postmenopausal women. So again, we're really mindful to be inclusive around that and then to do agenda stereotypes, making sure that we're not playing into stereotypes about, you know, only women menstruate and the only people who menstruate are women. I will say... Uh... Two things. One, it is a bit opposite to what Hannah said. When we talk to, exp to experts, even in, uh, in markets where we operated, people were, were still had stereotypes. Uh, so experts, for example, in, in insurance were telling us, no, but this is never going to work because uh, farmers don't think long term. They don't have this sense of preparing for the future. And then we saw that it actually worked, that people were uh, interested in insurance, were ready to pay for insurance. Uh, so that's one thing is not necessarily trust the experts, per se, uh, but really, again, don't talk to your end users and your customers. And the second thing is uh, when, when it comes to being the, the voice of OCO, we try to use our customers themselves to make them ambassadors, to get them involved, to record messages with them so that uh, we don't use words that are insensitive or don't use or expressions that are not used by our target audience trying to bring in the farmers themselves to talk about the product. Maybe one thing we realized at OCO, uh, we thought initially that by building a product that is accessible by all, it will be inclusive. But that sometimes need to go one step further. Uh, we realized after a few months that something like 85%, 90% of our customers were male. And it's not because of anything we did on purpose, but it's just that we didn't think of how to address women specifically. Uh, we thought that being neutral was enough. And then we realized that, no, we need to go and look at what time of the day uh, works best for women to, to interact with our agents, what kind of crops do they grow, because we realized that women and men don't grow the same crops in different countries. And so really make a special effort to sell to uh, specific audiences. So yeah, again, being accessible to all is not enough. You need to make a special effort to push your product to, uh, to audiences that are not used to being addressed. 
it seems we all share the same opinion that fundamentally inclusive building is a quite a cultural, it has to be embedded in every decision that you make in the business and how you grow the team and how you operate as a leader. And so I think it can't be a, a tokenistic thing that you do because it sounds nice or that it opens up new markets. I think it really has to be embedded in your values as a business. And so we truly celebrate diversity and inclusivity at Unfabled and look forward to continuing to build out our platform and brand in a way that is really meeting the unmet needs of women. For anyone who's like starting out building an inclusive product, I think it can be um, like you often are perceived as you're building for a niche. But I think what Hannah just said, where if you're trying to build for everyone, you're building for no one. And I think that's just something that we need to understand. Like so many products built for women have been perceived as, oh, they are niche. But then in reality, so many products that are just claimed to be built for everyone, like end up only attracting men, which is equally just half of the population. So I think just the overall kind of view on this it needs to be uh, redefined as well. And, and it's completely fair that you need to start with a specific segment. And actually, even women is probably too broad compared to where you need to start. So I think not to be afraid to like specifically define like who that audience is that you truly want to be inclusive of as a starter. And of course, you always build on top of that. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and your insights, Dora, Simon and Hannah. That's all we have time for. If you want to hear more about the inside workings of Europe startups, explore the latest workplace trends and read helpful resources, sign up to our Startup Life newsletter, which is co-written by my co-host, Anissa. And make sure you tune into our podcast next week, where we will be discussing how to create a values-driven brand. You can also find all the articles and facts mentioned in this episode in the podcast description. Thank you to Morgan Stanley for sponsoring this podcast series. Apply now through March 15th for the 2024 Morgan Stanley Inclusive Ventures Lab, an accelerator for tech and tech-enabled startups to access capital, resources, and connections to help further develop and scale their companies and to advance a more equitable investment landscape. Learn more at morganstanley.com slash M-S-I-V-L.